Calm us now, O Lord, into quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word and speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope at the thought of your birth, your life, your death, your resurrection, and your soon return. Amen. In a minute, we're going to read from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. So if you want to get that ready in your Bible, we'll turn to that shortly. But for the moment, I want to talk for, for a few minutes about this series that we started seven weeks ago. It was an extended Advent series, and so our Advent lasted a little longer than the official one. But we've arrived at the same endpoint now, and that endpoint has been a deliberate effort from day one to talk more about things to come than things of the past. Too often Christians are devoted to the things of the past more than they should be. Much of what we do in worship, we do as a sort of memorial act. We remember that he was born in a stable to a virgin mother and to a kindly stepfather. We, we remember that they went through a great deal of discomfort in order to fulfill God's purpose. And we remember the Lord's table and remember that he told us that we would, through that, uh, representative act be covenanting with him in our eternal life through his flesh and blood. And we remember how he rose from the grave. We, we remember how he ascended to heaven. We remember how he sent the Holy Spirit. And all of that's fine, but it's really not our purpose to gather each week to remember things. We remember them so that it informs the future. Remembering is only valuable if it informs where we're going. Remembering is how we know that what has happened was as sure in the minds of those who are waiting for it as what is about to happen. And so this Advent series has been a deliberate act of of remembering that promises were made about Christ's first coming and then understanding and looking forward to his second coming because the same sorts of promises are there yet to be fulfilled. And so I want to challenge you this last Sunday before Christmas to not be so devoted to the past that you forget to think about the future. And I'll tell you a little secret, Christmas is going to be better if you don't spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about the past. Because it is past Christmases that will no longer happen because of death, because of children growing up, because of changes in the climate and the economy and, and a hundred other things. It is that same remembering that turns Christmas into a melancholy affair for so many people. It's why we will spend 15 or 20 minutes tomorrow night on the 21st of December at 7 o'clock, remembering that some people mourn at Christmas time. So I'll tell you more about that before we leave today. But let's talk then about the future in light of the past. The past is our light pointing us toward the future. So 
Daniel tells us in his uh, recollection of Gabriel's prophetic announcements that a great glory is coming. So we're going to read just a couple of verses now from Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 13. And Daniel has already recorded many things that the angel Gabriel revealed to him. And then he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And that's the word of God for the people of God. Now, in our Wednesday night Bible studies, I've gone at great lengths to describe uh, Daniel's prophecy that comes actually to Daniel from the angel Gabriel. And uh, I only want to say in summary from that, that, that much of what Gabriel told Daniel had already come to pass by the time Jesus arrived on the scene. But this part had not yet, and actually still has not yet come to pass. Jesus affirmed everything Daniel said that had already happened up to that point, and Jesus assured that this part was yet to be fulfilled. And so in the same way that I've tried to say that we should use the past to inform the future, I'm telling you that even Jesus did that. He used the past to inform the future. And for him who was in his very nature living outside of space and time as we know it, there is no past, there is no present or future, there is only the now. And yet reaching down and embracing our smallness in the eyes of God, Jesus gave us a way to know. By the way, Daniel's prediction that I just read is described in vivid detail in John's Revelation, that last book in the Bible, so that you can see the Son of Man standing before the Ancient of Days, ready to come to the earth and call his people to him. And so when we look at this past experience, what do we see? We see small images of a greater glory. I've mentioned this a lot lately, but if you wouldn't mind, I'll remind you again that the, the tabernacle and the temple are meant to be images of the throne room of God in heaven. And so when we get to Revelation and the Apostle John is describing the throne room of heaven, guess what we see? we see the big version of the smaller thing on earth. In the same way, there are smaller representations of Christ throughout the Old Testament to remind us of what Christ has come to do and what Christ will be. So what has happened on the day of Christ's birth is a small representation of something much bigger that's coming. On the evening of his birth, there's a star shining over his cradle and his blessed mother and father. And this star is, in my absolute certainty, is not 
a star in the celestial sense, but an opening in the fabric of space and time behind which a multitude of angelic hosts wait to push through and protect the Lord, the Son of God, at his most vulnerable point. This is why I believe this, because the star is always right there with him, wherever he is. And as much as two years later, the Bible indicates that the star was still guarding over him, so to speak. And then there's that angelic display in the shepherd's fields, where the shepherds who are gathered at night watching over their flocks, by the way, temple flocks, sheep dedicated to sacrifice in the temple for the sins of the people. And an angel appears as as though that fabric opens up just enough for one angelic being to appear and it's almost too much for them to take in. And before it's over, that whole fabric opens up like curtains on a stage until there is this whole multitude of angelic hosts before these shepherds singing the glory of God. And it was overwhelming for them. But this was a small sample of something bigger that is yet to come. They went to see the child, and when they saw the child, they saw the the King of kings and the Lord of lords in a small example of what is yet to come. Jesus became small like us. In the literal sense, born like us as a baby, but small in the heavenly sense. Because when you read the book of of Revelation and the various other uh, beatific expressions in Scripture, that is those places, those times when people saw heaven and then came back to earth to tell about it, they they all describe something so big that it's consuming, it's overwhelming, it's more than they can handle the, the, the voices and the, and the music, it all sounds like thunder and wind and, and roaring rivers and, and the light so intense that they can barely see and, and all of the intensity of heaven is so much bigger than we are in this human form and so in Jesus we see God becoming like us, small, limited, then when Jesus is a young man and he's with his friends on the, on the Mount, of, of, uh, uh, Mount Tabor, he, he goes up on Mount Tabor and there he is in the presence of God and all of heaven is there and it's so bright that the, the apostles can barely stand it and they pass out. And once again, we see that Christ being like us is a small representation of a bigger reality that is yet to come. And so in this coming glory, what we're being promised is is that not a small display of heaven before a handful of shepherds, not a small break in the fabric of space and time where light from the other side passes through to the earth, and not a small representation of Jesus as a human with the limitations of a human being, but rather glory that fills the sky for all the planet to see, all the universe to see, and Jesus coming in glory and not obscurity and smallness like us. Jesus came to earth to be like us so that he could return to heaven and make a place for us to be like him. 
And we get a taste of that in the resurrection because after Jesus' resurrection, they recognize him not quite at first. It's all a little hard to take in because he's got the glory of heaven now as the resurrected being. And, and so it takes a little while for their eyes to adjust. And then they go, that's him, that's Jesus. And we have a promise of resurrection too. We've talked about this in the weeks leading up to today. And, and what we, we are promised that when we become like him, we'll see things the way they really are. We become like him when we are resurrected. And so as we learn from Thessalonians and a few other places, even in Jesus' own words, there will be a moment when one will be taken and one left behind, when the dead shall be raised to meet him in the sky, and those who are alive will be changed in a blink of an eye, actually faster than that. And all will be like him, returning with him to his father's house, for the great wedding feast. And it is in that moment that we stop being small in the eyes of heaven and start being equal to the way things are in heaven. And so in a very real sense, Christmas reminds us that our Lord became small like us so that we could be as big as he is where he lives and complete. That's the, been the whole gist of the series. And the promise that we look forward to is not about a bunch of dire and ugly predictions the Bible makes about how it will be for those who have rejected the Lord. It is for us a promise of how it will be for the ones who have been born into his family and who look forward to the day when we steal away to be like him. I don't know how else to say it, and I don't mean to be cruel, but the fact is, is if you're still rejecting the Lord, then all of this sounds like a fantasy to you, and you better be looking at all the bad things that are going to happen. It might change your mind. Because the past informs the future, and the past, in a prophetic sense, is there to tell us when the future has arrived. Prophecy is the past telling the future when it's happening. <laughs> it's like a road sign that says you're going to be there in 10 minutes. And 10 minutes later, you see that you have arrived. And so these prophetic statements in Scripture that have not been fulfilled, when you see them fulfilled, you will know that you have arrived. And my prayer is that you arrive in the best possible way, in the best possible place. When we pray, we want to pray like people for whom heaven is the goal and not as much as we can make of life while we still have physical health and financial resources. We pray like people who are already, already have one foot in heaven, already have one foot in the presence of God. This is how we pray. And then our prayers really count for something. You see, our Lord is coming, the bridegroom, to claim his bride, the body of Christ, the church universal. And he will blow the shofar, shout your name, and look for you to greet him there as he comes. And when that happens, you will never worry about your flesh again. 
Enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy some of the sentimental, nostalgic things that give you joy, but don't focus too much on them. Focus on the future, a glorious day when we go to be with him because he came to be with us. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts, we pray. For your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.